Well, good morning, church. And good morning to those that are with us virtually. It's so fun that we live in a time when we can communicate with people all around the world at any time. We had the privilege this week of being on a call with leaders from all over the world with World Without Orphans. And it was amazing that we could actually get into Zoom rooms and pray together with people from India and Nepal and Uganda and Thailand and just multiple countries. So I'm so thankful that we, we can have virtual church as well. I love this just one vision that God has given us. Yeah. And it's made me so much more aware of the people around me, people that, that serve us on a daily basis, people in my, in my neighborhood, in my community. And it's challenged me to, to stop and, and talk to the just one. Because the love of God flowing in us, I've realized it doesn't just affect that one person that you're talking to, but it affects others in their families and their friendships. There's a ripple effect of the love of God. When, when we love people, we don't know that we could be affecting a community, a, a marriage. There's a ripple effect. A, a generation could change just because of one connection with one other person. So I just wanted to encourage you to keep asking the Lord, who is that just one today? I think there will be multiple people that the Lord's gonna connect us with. I wanna start reading from Ezekiel 20, verse, between verse 13 and 17. This is kinda gonna be our key scripture throughout the, this message. But it says, Israel rebelled against me in the desert. They didn't follow my statutes. They despised my laws for living well and obediently in the way I had set out. And they totally desecrated my Sabbaths. I seriously considered leashing my anger on them right there in the desert, but I thought better of it and acted out of who I was, not by what I felt, so that I might be honored and not blasphemed by the nations. It repeats again in verse 22, they desecrated my Sabbaths. I seriously considered dumping my anger on them right there in the desert, but I thought better of it and acted out of who I was, not by what I felt. The God who abounds in love acted out of who he was, not how he felt. And let me just say from the beginning of this message, I'm not saying that feelings are not important. Feelings are very important. God is a feeling God. If you go through, he felt joy and sorrow and anger. Feelings are good. But we cannot make every decision on how we feel. We have to act out of who we are and who lives in us. So as we continue in our Two Good series today, we're gonna to focus on the God who abounds in love, who abounds in love towards us and who abounds in love towards others. Let me just pray for us. Father, I just pray, Lord, today that whether we've been saved for a day or our whole lives, Lord, I pray just for a fresh impartation of your love towards us, Lord, so that we can leave overflowing, Lord, with everything good. Father, that we could recognize again, Lord, that we carry this extravagant love. Father, we thank you for the privilege, Lord, of sharing you with others. But Lord, I pray more than that this morning, Father, that we would become so rooted and established in your love for us. In Jesus' name. See, we are, we are called and created to manifest the love of God to a hurting and dying world all around us, we are called to act out of who we are, not how we might feel. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 
says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love towards one another, towards all men, even as we also do towards you. Have you ever wanted to act out of just pure frustration or anger to someone that you love, but you chose to say nothing? You chose to forgive or you chose a gentle answer? I think this year we've all had so much opportunity to abound in love towards one another or to, or to react to the things that we don't necessarily agree with or see the same. I'm trusting God this morning, just like we prayed, that, that we would get again this extravagant love of God that we carry. Because when we experience it again, I think certainly for me as I've been reminded of it, I've, I want it to overflow. I want others around me to experience his love. And the one thing which is fascinating in scripture, I'm gonna show this to you now, that the enemy does not want is for us to realize how much we are loved. Yeah. It's the one thing he doesn't want us to see. And he's okay with us working hard. He's okay even with us doing some good things as long as we don't get how deeply we are loved. Because what happens is when we do, his plans of fear, his plans of doubt, his plans of anxiety, his plans of disunity are disrupted and they are destroyed when we believe that we are favored and loved by God. And the love of God flowing through us brings disruption to the enemy's plans. We see this when Jesus goes into the wilderness and just before he does, his father says to him, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus goes into the wilderness and the, the enemy says to him, if you are the son of God, he doesn't say if you're the beloved son of God, if you are the son of God whose father's pleased with you. He just says, if you're the son of God, and I think he very strategically leaves out that part of him being loved. In Ephesians 3.17, Paul prays that we would be rooted and established in love, that the revelation of God's love would be so permanently and established in us because when it does, it transforms our lives. Ephesians 3.16, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. See, God's love in us gives us power to love one another deeply. God's love in us gives us power to surpass our differences, to love those that feel unlovable. God's love in us gives us power to make His love our highest value. All I'm doing now is just setting up just a biblical foundation to remind us again of what the Scripture says about His love. Romans 8.39 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And there is nothing that we can do. There is nowhere we can go. There is nothing that we cannot do that will change God's love for us. We cannot make it greater. We cannot make it less because He's given His full love to us. God's love for you and me is permanently established. And not our worst Actions, not our most rebellious moments, can change that. It is complete, it is established. 
Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, God looked at us in our sin and in our mess and in our shame and in our rebellion. And it was in that space that He looked at the world and said, you need a savior. And I love you so much that I'm gonna make the greatest sacrifice and give you my son. Because it's the only way for your freedom. That's incredible love. I don't know anybody else other than the Father who has that amount of love for his people. And Jesus knew what was coming. We know that he prayed. It says that his soul was overwhelmed with grief when Jesus prayed and he asked if this cup could be taken from him. Jesus knew what a sinner's death looked like. He knew the brutality of what he was facing and he said, if it's possible for this cup to be taken, yet not my will, but your will be done. When Jesus went to the cross, he acted out of who he was, not how he felt. I truly believe he did not feel like going to the cross, but he acted out of who he was, not how he felt. His love for you and me surpassed every feeling that he was going through at that time. Psalms 23, six says, surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This Hebrew word for mercy is hesed, H-E-S-E-D. And it is a word which is a lifelong love based on a covenantal relationship, a steadfast and rock solid relationship. It speaks of an action that intervenes and comes to our rescue because God's love is never passive. His love can always be counted on. And it's this love that follows us. In our greatest days, on our worst days, the love of God pursues us and follows us. His love doesn't weaken for us. His love is always passionate towards you. And when we believe this, when our lives become so rooted and established in this extravagant love, we get to be love with skin on. We get to be the love of God for others. Our friend Peter Rasmussen says this. He says, most often people will fall in love with you before they fall in love with Jesus. Once we've accepted Jesus as our savior, his love in me is going to need to find expression. Most of us, have experienced God's love through somebody else, right? Yeah. I certainly have. John 13, 35 says, the new command I give you. It's not a new suggestion. It's a command. Love one another. Love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. Because by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. I think he's really trying to make a point here. So let's have a look at some practical examples of this abounding love in scripture. And then I'm gonna give you some, just some examples of what it's been like for us as we've ministered to people and then what it can look like for all of us. I think it's easy to think of, and I certainly did before I understood grace and read the scriptures properly, but I think it's easy to think of the God of the Old Testament as harsh and judgmental. And then we go into the New Testament and, and it's full of grace and love. But the God in the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. So we're gonna look at just this love of God revealed in the Old Testament. And we, and we see this, it's, we don't have time for all the stories, but 
we see the Israelites grumbling and they grumble against God and they worship false gods and they break the commands and then they come back and they beg God for rescue. And then they press repeat and do the same thing again and they beg for rescue. And we see the Father continually showing them grace and love. Judges 10, 16 says that his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. That's a father's heart. If you're a parent and your children aren't doing well, your soul grieves for them. You want them to do well because you love them. And God loved Israel and his heart grieved for them and he continually rescued them. There's David who has such a heart for God. David, famous for his Psalms, but, but David had a season in his life where he engaged in immoral relationships. He lied and he killed, but God saw his heart and God loved him and God forgave him. David knew God's unmerited favor. The loving kindness of God was a central theme throughout the Old Testament. Let me read you a few scriptures. In Exodus 34, it says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. In 1 Chronicles 16, 34, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. Let's look at the New Testament. What did it look like when love walked the earth? What did it look like when love walked the earth? Many times it looked like Jesus putting His love for people ahead of some of the cultural norms. He was so passionate to see people come free, to see people walk in who he had called them to be. We know the story of the woman caught in adultery. And according to the culture of the day, she should have been stoned. It would have been perfectly normal for her to be stoned. But he told her, there's no condemnation for you. Now go and sin no more. See, Jesus saw her sin and he empowered her with love to be free. See, the kindness of God is what leads to repentance. We see the story, Jesus goes to rest at the well and he sits down at the well and he meets a Samaritan woman and there was a whole lot of things wrong with the story. Culturally, a Jew and Samaritan didn't talk to each other. He was alone at a well with, with a woman she had had multiple husbands. He tells her her story. He says, the man that you're with now is not your husband. And then he offers her living water. He doesn't leave her in that space. He says, I have living water for you. And this woman goes out and she runs into her community to tell them that she has met with love. You see, his love for her superseded the culture. And her encounter with love created a ripple effect in her community. That's what happens. The well-known story, Phyllis alluded to this, of the woman with the issue of blood. In her culture, she wasn't supposed to be out in public. She was considered unclean, and him as the rabbi would know this. And I have to wonder when I read that story whether she didn't weigh the cost of, if he sees me, if he knows, is he going to rebuke me? But I'm so desperate for my healing. And what is his response when she touches the hem of his garment? His response is, daughter, your faith has made you well. He overrides the custom of the day to heal and affirm her identity. This is what love does. Love heals. Love heals. 
Love looks like Jesus allowing Mary to wash his feet with her perfume and her tears. And I'm sure the Pharisees were letting him know, probably not so subtly, that she was a woman of, of sin. The, the, the scripture calls her a wicked woman. I'm, I'm pretty sure that they were telling him, Jesus, this is inappropriate. Some theologians say she was, a, she was a prostitute. They just saw the sinner, but Jesus saw a woman who needed salvation, who needed freedom. It's a beautiful story of the abounding love of God. It never gives up, it never fails. It sees beyond our failings, it sees beyond our sin, and he loves us according to who we are, not according to maybe what we've done or haven't done. God's love sets people free. So what does God's love look like for us personally as we've had opportunity to minister to people and in probably 35 plus years in, in ministry, there's not much that we haven't seen or heard. Um, but a young couple, I remember um, coming, this has happened a few times in, in our, our time of ministering to people, but a young couple came into our office and I'll never forget it, they're walking down the hallway and just the shame on their faces and they sat down and, and told us that they were pregnant. And we had this opportunity to just tell them that this baby is precious to God. There's, this baby has a destiny in God. This baby is a, is a gift. This baby's not a victim. This baby has a future that is good. And sometimes in those situations, it's meant helping them prepare for, for marriage, if that's what's best in that circumstance. See, we're not condoning what, what happened, but we get to set people free from shame. We get to take it off of them. We get to set people free from condemnation. We get to partner with the Lord and place people's feet on solid ground again and say, there's a future for you. You see, we cannot allow our worst moments, our most terrible seasons to define the rest of our lives. We cannot do that because there's always hope because God is a God of hope. Years ago, um, a lady came into our, into our office and there, there was a great crisis in her marriage and she sat down I'll never forget this. She started to pull out these papers and on them were written. She, I said, what, is, what are these? And she said, um, a leader told me to write down all my sins. And I was like, oh Lord, this is awful. I was so shocked and angry. Somebody who was so broken and so deeply repentant, repenting with tears. She said, I know I've messed up. I shouldn't have done things, but, but why would, would that happen to her? And we just said to her, we're not interested. We, we can just throw that, those lists away. We are not interested in this because you are forgiven. God has forgiven you and God has already made a way for you. There is a new story for you. Now let's walk with you in healing. Let's see you come to wholeness because you are precious in his sight. I wish I could show you a photo of her right now. There's just such, just such joy on, in her life. There's healing in her life because God is a redemptive God. It's what he does. We've had opportunity to tell those who have been abused in whatever way that, that this is not your fault and it's not your future. It is not your fault, it is not your future. God loves you, he has plans for you. He has plans of restoration for your life. That's what the love of God does, it, it restores. So how can we act out of who we are? How can we be loved? In, in our spheres of influence. 
Because God's love abounds to us, but we can also be expressions of his abounding love to others. We can be present with those in pain, as Ty spoke about a couple of weeks ago when he preached on the God of compassion. We can be present in people's pain. Last week, Greg spoke about meeting practical needs and how most often people in crisis don't know how to respond by, let me know if you need anything. That's not a bad thing to, to offer people, but better is, can I bring, I'll bring you a meal on Wednesday or I'll take care of your children for you or let me do your laundry for you. Years and years ago, we had gone through an extreme loss and a, and a friend of mine said to me, I'll take your calls. We were, part of a, we were on staff of, of a large church and amazing people, but I just didn't have the capacity to deal with all the phone, all the phone calls and care. And so all the phone calls were fielded through a friend of mine. That was the love of God to, to us in that time. I remember somebody else said, um, I haven't sent you flowers because you can't eat the flowers. And flowers are great. I love sending people flowers but you need to eat, so I'm gonna organize meals for you. That's the love of God in action, right? <laughs> See, Jesus modeled this for us. When he fed the 5,000, he took care of the practical needs of the people. They needed to eat. Sometimes the most practical things we do, that love in action is very spiritual. See, be believing the best of others, asking the Lord, how does he see someone? rather than treating them according to their behavior. Jesus did that with Mary. Jesus did that with the woman with the issue of blood. Choosing to forgive when I've been hurt, caring out of who we are, not how we might feel. See, pouring out our lives in kindness and generosity when it's inconvenient, that's the love of God in action. This is a quote from, from Bob Goff. He said, loving people the way Jesus did is always great theology. Loving people the way Jesus did is always great theology. Heidi Baker says, the Lord is looking for servant lovers, people who are passionate and filled with love for him, people who desire and are longing for the bridegroom's return, people who can taste the feast and know it's about to begin. These people can no longer stand to stay in their comfort zones. They will literally run out and call in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And if we will go out and call them, showing them the love of God, they will come. See, people all around us every day are spiritually blind. I was spiritually blind at a time. I'm so thankful that somebody told me that Jesus loved me. There are people in our lives that are unable to, to walk forward. They feel stuck because circumstances have crippled them. And we get to go tell them there is a hope for you. There is a future for you because there is a God who loves you with an everlasting love. Do not allow the worst season to frame you for the rest of your life. There is healing on the other side for you. There is a place in God for you to walk again, for you to thrive again, for you to know joy again, because he loves you that much. We are here today because of the greatest act of love ever shown. We get to sit here today and worship together and pray for one another and love one another because of a father who sacrificed his son, because he was the only one without sin 
the only one who could be a sacrifice without blemish. And we're here today because the son gave up his life and he took our sin so that we could have eternal life. You see, we have been called and created to be rooted and established in love. And then he says, go and be love with skin on. Go and be love to a world around you and create ripple effects. Let's be those who act out of who we are. And who we are are much loved sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Who we are are carriers of the extravagant love of God. That's who we are. I'd like to pray for us today because as I was preparing this message, I really felt like it's time for some to walk again. And there's an invitation from the Lord to say, come on, come on, get up and walk again. I feel like the Lord says, do not allow your current circumstances to hold you. This is not your future. No matter what you've been through, I feel like the Lord wants to take some things off of us today. He wants to take shame and condemnation off of us. Father, we thank you. Let's just pray together. We thank you, Lord, that you are a good, good Father. Lord, I thank you that you say to us, Lord, you look us in the eye and you say, there is no condemnation for you. Lord, you call us son. You call us daughter. And Father, maybe for some you're saying, go and sin no more. Be free. Maybe to some, Lord, you're saying, be restored. I've come to restore. I've come to restore physically. I've come to restore. I feel like the Lord says he's come to restore some souls today. Thank you, Lord, for soul restoration, Father. Thank you, Lord, that no matter where we are, Lord, that your love for us is permanent and established. And Lord, I thank you, Father. And Lord, I just speak over your people today, Lord, that we will be rooted and established in the extravagant love of God so that we can go out and be love with skin on. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.